Hello and welcome to mini episode 116 of Real Life Ghost Stories. And I have seven spooky stories for you today. And the last story comes from April the 11th, 2021. And story number one comes from Scarlet. When my mum was eight years old, her mum, my nan, used to work part-time as a sewing machinist. On the day she had to work, she used to leave my mum and her brother with one of the neighbours called Mrs Rice. Mrs Rice was an elderly lady who looked after them for years. My mum loved her and they always had so much fun when she used to babysit both of them. My uncle was only three at the time so he can't really remember much. My nan and granddad decided to move from the street that they live on to the next village across into a bigger house which meant leaving all the old neighbours and Mrs Rice behind. My mum was upset by this, but knew that they'd be able to keep in touch and visit as their new house really wasn't far away at all. A few weeks after moving into the new house, my mum woke up in the middle of the night and saw Mrs Rice at the end of her bed, smiling at her. She said she didn't feel scared because she knew who she was, but at the same time it made her jump. Being only eight years old, she couldn't understand why Mrs Rice was there. She ran into my nan and granddad's room distressed and explained what happened. My nan calmed her down and told her she was just dreaming and took her back to bed. Obviously, Mrs. Rice was nowhere to be seen. Three days later, they went back to their old house to collect the rest of their belongings. My nan got chatting with their old neighbours and asked how Mrs. Rice was. The neighbour looked at my nan and said, Mrs. Rice died three days ago. To this day, Mum has always believed on the night that she saw her, Mrs Rice came to say goodbye. The story has always given me chills, but I think it's quite comforting because of how close they were and she didn't want to leave this world without saying goodbye. I love the stories of loved ones coming back to say goodbye and you can never underestimate the impact that you have on somebody's life while for the kids like Mrs Rice was just this really fun lady who babysat them. It could have been something that really impacted her in a really positive way having those kids around the house. And maybe for her, in her dying moments, she wanted one more chance to be able to be around them before she went off to wherever you go after you die. And story number two comes from Ivory. Pashma is half Indian on her mother's side. One summer, her mom decided that it was time to go and visit their grandmother who still lived there. Her grandmother lived alone on a derelict island that was accessible by car via a bridge connecting it to the mainland. So after flying to India, Pashma's mom packed her and her little brother into a rental car and made their way to the island to go and visit their grandmother. On the way back, they took a different road to get back to the bridge. And along the way, they came across a beautiful blue house. It was a huge stately home with big indigo shutters and white steps leading up to the door. It looked out of place next to the dingier houses around it. On either side of the front door were tall windows looking into the entrance room. Pashma's mom was an interior designer and so decided to stop the car and go and have a look at the house as it appeared as if no one was home. When they got to the front lawn, they could see through the windows a gorgeous spiral staircase leading up to the second level. Pashma's mom gasped excitedly and said she was going to grab her camera from the car so she could take pictures as inspiration for a house she was working on back in London. She went to the car but was upset when she realised that she'd left her camera at home. So instead, she decided to go up to the front door and see if she could try to memorise what the inside looked like. 
As soon as they walked up to the front door, it opened, and an older gentleman was standing there. He asked if he could help them, and Pashma's mom, embarrassed, explained that she was an interior designer and just wanted to get a closer look at the gorgeous staircase. He smiled and said, Why don't you all come inside and I'll give you a tour? To which her mom laughed and said that would be lovely and they all went inside. Pashma said the house was gorgeous and the walls were filled with pictures, some of which had the man in them. As she was gazing at one of them, he said, That's my wife and daughter, but they're not here right now. He gave them a tour of the entire house, up the spiral staircase and around the upper floor. It was very vintage, but kept in pristine condition. Her mom was loving it, and they stayed for a cup of tea as he talked more about the house and his family. When they finished their drinks, her mom thanked him for the tour and said they'd be coming back tomorrow again to see their grandmother. She asked if he would mind if she stopped by again with her camera to take some pictures, to which he said that would be no problem. Then they all piled back into the car and went on their way. So the next day they went to visit their grandmother again and then drove back on that same road to the big blue house. Only they couldn't find it. As it was a straight road, they were dumbfounded as to why they couldn't find the house. Each time they got to where they thought it should be, instead of a huge blue house there was just a large patch of land where it should have been. Finally, her mom parked the car by the patch of land and got out to try and get her bearings. She was standing there with her hand on her hip and the other hand literally scratching her head when a guy on a bike came by. He could tell they looked lost and so he stopped. Her mom explained that they were looking for a big blue house that should be somewhere nearby. She described how big it was and that you couldn't miss it. The guy on the bike looked concerned and tentatively started to speak. Are you talking about a blue house with dark blue shutters? He asked. They all nodded and said yes, that's the one. That house used to be right here, but it burned down 50 years ago. A lot of people who visit say they see it as clear as day, but then it vanishes. I've personally never seen it, so I don't really know. Apparently, his wife and daughter went out shopping, and when they got back, something happened and he became enraged. He ended up murdering them and setting the entire house on fire. It burnt down and this patch of land is all that's left. This story still gives me absolute chills, because I have legit never heard of an entire friggin' stately home just vanishing and then reappearing. An entire ghost house. To anyone wondering, I asked Pashma what the tea the man made tasted like, obviously thinking it must have tasted like decrepit ash, but she said it tasted like regular tea. Anyway, she refuses to go back to the island, and I don't blame her. That gives me serious The Shining vibes. I wouldn't go back either. It must be really disconcerting to go somewhere, have an elongated experience there where you physically walk around, have tea with a ghost man, And then you go back and it's not there anymore. That's so weird. I would also question what the tea tasted like. I definitely would have been like, so did the tea taste like murder and death and sorrow and anguish and despair? No, no, it just tastes like normal tea, which is slightly disappointing, but also even weirder. I just don't get what happened here. Like, was it some sort of time slip? Is it because it was a mother and her daughter that were 
that had stopped to look at like I don't I don't understand what's happening here. There are stories kind of around the world of vanishing islands. I have it on my list of episodes to do a vanishing island episode. So maybe a vanishing house is just, you know, a smaller version of a vanishing island. And story number three comes from Karen. I want to share a strange experience with you that happened to me when I was younger, probably around 14 or 15 years old. This story comes to you from the northeast Indian state of Meghalaya. I'd gone on a day trip with my family, my two brothers, my grandparents, a cousin and an uncle, to a place called Sora. It was renowned for being the wettest place on earth. The trip was nice and nothing noteworthy took place in particular. However, something strange happened as we were driving back home. The sun was setting and gave the evening a nice warm glow. The landscape was a little like the English countryside, I think. Grasslands, meadow and hills in the far distance. So someone suggested that we stop and take a photo. And we did. We posed for one group photo. Those were still the days of point and shoot film cameras. After we took the photos, my younger brother, who must have been 11 or 12 back then, pointed to the hills and said, Look at those villagers going home. We all turned and saw in the distance, on the hills, a group of people walking and carrying traditional conical baskets called ko. As we all stood and stared, it took us a moment to realise that the hills were too distant for us to have been able to see the figures walking on the hills in the size that they were. They were almost the height of the trees near them. We stood transfixed and watched them for a few moments before they walked over the hills out of sight. We got back in our car and didn't really talk about it for a few moments, just taking in what we saw. However, we began to chatter and discuss excitedly and a little fearfully once the car was well on the move. All of us saw the people on the hills that day, including my grandparents, which is neat because none of us had to try and convince each other. To this day, my brother and I talk about what we saw to try and figure out a rational explanation. Sadly, the one photo that we took at the spot did not yield any evidence of anyone on the hills, probably also because the hills were really far away. Anyway, what makes all of this really interesting is that I later learned that the Cassis, who are the indigenous people of the state, actually have various folklore about giants. In fact, there is a giant boulder in Sora itself called Ko Ramha, the basket of the giant. Weird, eh? Sorry, what? That story was so good. I guess you could argue that it was some sort of weird perspective anomaly. Like, you know, there's that place in America where the car supposedly rolls uphill, but it's actually perspective is skewed. So the car is actually going downhill, but it looks like it's going uphill. Sorry, I know that sounds very convoluted, but it's the best example I can think of. So maybe it was like a perspective thing. But then I really, truly don't believe that, that it would be perspective, a perspective anomaly. And then to have the indigenous people of the state having various folklore about giants. I think this might be the first giant story we've ever had and I am into it. And story number four comes from Jessica. I've been living in this apartment for two years now. And when I first moved in, I had a dog named Ziggler, who unfortunately passed away a year into living here. My other dog, Oscar Mayer, was starting to show signs of depression, which I did not know was possible in dogs until I witnessed it for myself. 
Out of not wanting him to be lonely, I decided to adopt a dog from our local shelter, and that's when things started to get weird. You see, when I got this dog, who I've named Charlie, he was covered in burns, to the point that he had no fur on his entire back and onto his sides. They don't know how he was burned or why, but at the time of adopting him, he was still healing from his injuries. He is a very hyper but lovable little dog, and he got along with Oscar instantly. He is the sweetest dog you could meet, which is why I was surprised to see him constantly growling and staring at something that was never there. He would dart his head around like he was following something with his eyes. The hair on his back that eventually grew in would stand up and it would seem as though he was trying to get between me and whatever it was that he was looking at. This kept happening on and off. I thought maybe he was seeing a bug or a shadow. You know dogs are weird in that way. But then one day I was on a FaceTime call with my mom. And again, his hair stood up and he began to growl. So I turned the camera to face him, to show her what I was talking about, and she asked what he was looking at. You should know that I have this pendulum swinging thing that constantly moves back and forth and is controlled by magnets. Well, not only was he staring at it, but I realised that the pendulum was frozen in the air. Which is impossible, I thought. I ignored it thinking that maybe it was just broken, but the next morning it was swinging again. A few weeks later I caught him growling at something in the closet which I was too scared to investigate. I've also caught orbs floating around him on camera, which everyone says is dust but I don't know. More recently however I was asleep and woke up suddenly catching my breath. Kind of like the people do in movies, really dramatic, waking up from a nightmare. But it was as if something woke me up and I instantly heard footsteps walk over to my bedroom door and stop. I live alone, so you can imagine how terrified I was. I slowly peeked my head up to see that nothing was there, but Charlie was staring at the doorway. So I put my head down to go back asleep. When I hear foot drags as if to pivot, and then three steps walking away. I'm not saying that Charlie has anything to do with it, if he brought it or he simply has a sense for the paranormal. Oscar never seems to notice or pick up the same way that Charlie does. I have heard that animals can pick up on that kind of thing. There are indeed those that believe that dogs and cats and other animals are more sensitive than we are to things that are happening in the world or maybe more sensitive to the paranormal. And look, I'm a pretty sceptical person, but I do think if anybody was going to sense anything, it would be dogs in particular because they have an incredible ability to sense things in what we perceive as the real world. There are dogs that can sense when somebody's about to have a seizure. There are dogs that can sense when somebody who is diabetic has low blood sugar. Like, dogs are incredible. There are dogs that can smell cancer. I mean, really, paranormal investigators need to stop bringing these, like, K2 devices and all that stuff and just bring dogs on all their paranormal investigations. I mean, it would make for much better watching as well, I think. And again, I'm going to do a little emotional side note, but well done, Jessica, for adopting a traumatised animal, because that's not easy. That's not easy at all. And I'm sorry you lost your dog in the first place. That's pretty amazing to adopt an animal that has been injured in that kind of way. And story number five comes from Ipsita. This happened to me around three or four years ago. And since then, I got really spooked out. But I'm still confused to this day about what I experienced. My friend and I used to frequent this club where we took swimming lessons daily. Me and my friend used to stay in the pool for a while after the formal hours were over 
so it usually got dark by the time we got dried up and dressed. This particular day we got out later than usual. My father had called me a few minutes before asking us to get ready since he was going to pick us up. After every class we would pick up our cards and head towards the entry gate. We could physically see the entry gate from the place where we were picking up our cards and out of the corner of my eye I watched my dad walk in which at the time was physically impossible since he was 20 minutes away. I pointed it out to my friend and she also saw my dad and headed towards the entry. Even though I knew it was impossible for him to be there, I didn't think anything of it and pushed the doubt aside. I went ahead towards the entry. As we walked, our view was briefly blocked for a split second by a barricade. And when we could see the entryway again, there was nobody there. Which was weird, because even if my dad had walked right past us, we would have seen him. We were completely baffled and asked the guard if anyone had walked in, but he said no. I immediately called my dad up, and him being a sceptic, he laughed it off, but he was still far away. I asked my friend whether she had really seen him, and she described him exactly the way he was dressed that day. I had seen him before we arrived, I knew what he was wearing. I still couldn't find any rational explanation for this. So for the last couple of weeks on Patreon, we have been looking at stories like this. Stories of weird glitches in the Matrix or time slips that seem to be really inconsequential where somebody sees somebody and then realises that it's physically impossible for them to have seen them. And it it literally makes me question the fabric of time, (laughs) which is a pretty big thing to be questioning. So I don't know, it seems to me like you experienced a little glitch in the Matrix. And story number six comes from Ada. I've always been sensitive to ghosts. I see them frequently and I can tell you, you will never get used to seeing things. Once me and my mum were on our way to spend the weekend at an old barn that had been converted to a B&B. The place was nice and felt cosy and welcoming so I was happy to stay there. We were a day late so all the bigger rooms had been taken. My mum took a room right at the end of the barn and I had one at the very front so already there was a long way for me to go to get to her if I needed her. The second I walked into the room, it felt different from the rest of the barn. Every time I walked in, I got a strange, nauseating feeling, like car sickness, but when I stepped out, I felt completely fine. I complained to the others, and they said they were already moved in, but someone was arriving tomorrow and I could try and switch rooms with them, but it meant that I would have to spend the night in there. That day when in the pool at the barn I kept seeing a dark shape floating in the water out of the corner of my eye. Creeped out I went up to the attic where the changing rooms were and I swear I felt something like a cold wet hand clasp at my back. I ran out thoroughly spooked. That night I couldn't sleep. That nauseating feeling was now paired with a sickly sweet smell of rot. It was when I had decided that I wasn't going to go and check that I felt it. The feeling of being stared at, distinctly by my bedside table. As I leant to turn on the lamp, I saw a face for a split second. The hair was long and dripping wet, and her smile still makes me shake. It was wide, impossibly wide, and there were too many teeth. I jumped up and left the room and began sprinting to my mum's room, but the corridor seemed incredibly long and it felt like something from The Shining. I swapped my room with the guy who arrived later and didn't mention anything so I just brushed it off. 
but a few years ago he mentioned a nauseating feeling in that room and shadows out of the corner of his eye. I've never gone back and I never will. I can't help but think she was drowned, whoever she was. I don't know why, but I just had that strange feeling. It sounds like whatever was there was fundamentally not good. Because you have that rotten meat smell, the feeling sick, the feeling really frightened and then... Like, it's really sad if there was somebody there that drowned. But then why do they then look like that with a big white smile and too many teeth? Sounds like they're purposefully trying to be scary. And the validation of somebody else experiencing the same feelings is, I'd imagine, simultaneously relieving, but also terrifying. Because it means that you can't just brush off what happened to you. And story number seven comes from Santana. About three years ago, I stayed the night at my fiancé Callum's house. His mum would always get up at around 5am on a Saturday morning and have a quick bath before work. There was only a thin wall between the bathroom and Callum's bedroom, so being half asleep next to Callum, I clearly heard the taps being turned on and water spouting out into the bath. I distinctly remember hearing the water running and mentally concluding it was very early in the morning. No more than two minutes passed, and I heard his mum knocking on the door calling to him. I felt the bed shake as he propped up onto his elbow. At least I assumed that was what was happening since I slept with an eye mask. He shouted at his mum and asked what she wanted. Meg has died, she said. Meg was his dad's little dog. I remember feeling sad, but for whatever reason I didn't physically react at all. We rolled awake at around 9am. Callum checked his phone and read out a text from his sister who had stayed the night at their dad's. It read, Meg passed away last night. He didn't seem to remember the early morning's events, so I reminded him, and we chalked it up to him not being fully awake when it happened. When his mum came home from work in the afternoon, I greeted her with a cup of tea, and jokingly asked why she thought it was best to tell us before the crack of dawn. She looked at us confused, and genuinely had no idea what I was talking about. I told her what I had heard and she said she didn't even know Meg had died. Not until she had checked her phone at lunchtime to see a similar text from Callum's sister. Please feel free to draw your own conclusions. Weird things happen to me all the time, but nothing compared to the strangeness on that day. This next story took place around five years ago when I still lived with my parents in their bungalow. After building an extension onto the kitchen and using corrugated plastic as cheap roofing, You can imagine the whole bungalow would heat up like a sauna in the summer. I don't know why they did this either. For this reason, I would sleep with an oscillating desk fan on my bedside table every night, all night. At about 10pm on a weekday, I got into bed, turned the fan on the highest setting, put my eye mask on and pulled the duvet right up to my ears while laying on my back. Even while being cooked in my bedroom, I still wasn't going to have a single part of my body out in the open, ready for an opportunistic demon to grab. After laying down for what couldn't have been more than 30 seconds, I felt a lovely gust of wind across my face, the only part of me that was exposed to the fan. I stayed completely still, ready for another hit of cool breeze. Nothing happened. I could still hear the fan slowly moving on its axis, and started mentally calculating how long it would be until it came back around. I estimated 10 seconds for each direction and waited. Minutes passed. I still hadn't moved an inch since getting into bed. 
The realisation hit me at this point that I would have definitely felt it by now if it had been the fan and I never felt the breeze across my face again. It's so strange when people have those precognitive experiences where they are told of a death or they know of a death before it happens and I don't really understand why it happens or how it happens because it happens to people from all different walks of life and all different faiths and creeds and different belief systems. Like, is it possible in Santana's sleep state that she had a precognitive event where she predicted her boyfriend's dad's dog's death? That was a lot of Ds, a lot of alliteration going on there. Secondly, if I was really hot in the summer, uh, I, I, I honestly, I probably wouldn't say no to a ghost blowing a cold breeze on my face. Because there's nothing worse than not being able to sleep at night time in the heat in the summer. Thank you so much to Scarlet, Ivory, Karen, Jessica, Ipsita, Ada and Santana for sending in your stories. If you would like to know anything about the podcast, you can find out everything that you need to know on reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. And on that note, I shall see you next time. <laughs>